Radio Creek on. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. We've reached the very first JC Christmas special and what an episode it was, featuring several excellent guest appearances, including one particularly famous face who really took the roof off. As ever, watching the episode before listening to this edition of the pod will be distinctly to your advantage. If you're tuning in just to hear me talk about an episode of Jonathan Creek that you haven't actually watched, then, well, it is a free world, for now at least, but you're weird. Very weird, but very welcome. Before we get started, I'd like to quickly throw back to episode 9, which was the problem at Gallows Gate. In the location information section there, I implored listeners to get in touch if they had any idea as to where the main house from that episode is located. And guess what? No one did. However, through other means, I have managed to come into possession of that very information. The house at which Duncan Proctor flung himself off the balcony is Merivale Hall in Atherston, Warwickshire. So there we go, mystery solved. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode, Black Canary, which aired on Christmas Eve 1998. Here comes that Australian man. Take it away, big fella. Episode Synopsis In a dark room inside a snowy mansion, a kimono-clad man called Pandok Lau performs a strange, mystic-like surgery on an elderly gentleman. His fingers delve inside his torso, poke around his innards and withdraw a piece of tissue, all without leaving a scar on the skin. The elderly man's wife and daughter watch on aghast. The next morning the daughter is heading off to work, and as she leaves the tube station, a passing Jonathan Creek notices her and watches as she heads off. As he heads down into the station, we see that she had noticed him too. Jonathan arrives at the theatre and finds Adam chatting to his young, attractive assistant Elsa about costumes, while surreptitiously pointing a mini-camera pen towards her chest. As she heads off, Adam tells Jonathan that Elsa is definitely a virgin and that he's going to do something about it. He even admits aloud that he might date-rape her. I'm not sure whether that was looked upon as being cool and de rigueur back in the late 90s, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Back at the snowy mansion, the mother, Morella, writes a note addressed to Jerry, the husband, and Charlotte, the daughter. She then looks at some photos of herself and the family, including one of her with a twin sister. Because this is TV and something foreboding is required, she then takes a Bible out of a drawer. At the theatre, Adam complains about an issue he has with gallstones. In his dressing room, an assistant takes a phone call from Maddie who's looking for Jonathan. As she heads off to look for him, he and Adam appear from elsewhere, enter the dressing room and start chatting. Maddie listens intently via the still open phone line. Jonathan mentions how he almost bumped into the daughter of Morella Carney, the famous magician who disappeared from the business a while back. They talk about how Charlotte was the great lust of Jonathan's life, and how he almost got together with her a few years ago. Maddie listens into this, and it causes her to experience botheration. Later, while he's at Maddie's, Charlotte phones Jonathan and tells him that her mother Morella killed herself in the garden 
earlier that afternoon by firing a rifle into her own head. She bursts into tears, which, to be fair, is probably a natural reaction to such a calamitous incident. Maddie and Jonathan drive over there, with Maddie complaining en route that it seems silly to be doing so just to help a hysterical floozy that Jonathan once met at a party. He tells her about Charlotte's famous mother Morella, the Black Canary, and how her magic act relied on the fact she had a secret twin sister. Beryl, the twin, died one day rehearsing a trick with an electric buzzsaw, and with the jig therefore being up, Morella retired immediately, although she did manage to keep the reason why out of the news. They arrive at the mansion and Charlotte describes the weird surgery on her father, Jerry, the other night. Jerry then appears and introduces himself, and it turns out he's pretty deaf. He explains what happened with Morella the previous day. He'd been out and upon returning took a nap in his chair in the conservatory. His butler Lionel, who appears to have been the physical inspiration for the South Park character Mr Mackey, set him an alarm clock and when he woke, he saw Morella in the garden arguing with a hobo who'd appeared from the nearby woods. Morella pointed a rifle at the homeless guy which made him run off, but then she turned the gun on herself and blew her brains out. Jerry herpled out into the garden, followed shortly afterwards by Lionel, and they were amazed to see that the homeless guy had left no footprints after running off from where Morella's corpse now lay. Later on, a medic tells Jerry that Morella couldn't possibly have died by gunshot, because inspection of her body reveals she'd actually already been dead for five hours, full of barbiturates. Jonathan quickly explains how Pandoc Lau's surgery was all a hoax, involving animal tissue, flexible fingers, blood capsules and a small fee. Yeah, like that's the main thing on everyone's mind at the minute, Jonathan. Jonathan and Maddie then encounter the detective who's officially come in to investigate Morella's death, Detective Inspector Gideon Prike. He's aware of Jonathan's crime-solving past, and they discuss the evidence found thus far. A small bloody gash on the wall of the lift, a suicide note, and also a lamp flex in the conservatory that appears to have been shortened. Jonathan and Maddie drive into the woods the homeless man limped off towards, and he reveals that he's worked out that Morella Carney may actually have in fact been her sister Beryl. Shortly afterwards, the police find the homeless man's shed in the woods. Pryke looks inside and finds a tooth. He realises that by identifying its owner, he'll have the limping man's name. In the theatre dressing room, Adam pontificates to Jonathan about commitment and asks him how his reunion with Charlotte went. Maddie has surreptitiously left the camera pen on the desk and it records the conversation onto a VHS tape. Jonathan describes Maddie as a comfy old sweater that you're happy to put on day after day. Maddie and Jonathan then head into a cafe in a forest and as Maddie goes in to get the food, Jonathan nervously locks the car door when a massive brick shithouse appears nearby. The guy sees Jonathan doing this and takes umbrage, shouting at him and then smashing the car window to try and throttle him. Pryke materialises from nowhere and saves the day. He then tells Maddie and Jonathan that he's also worked out that Morella may well have been Beryl. Back at the big country house, Jonathan has a look through some of Morella and Beryl's old scrapbooks and hones in on a trick Morella performed for a journalist involving a Rolls Royce being turned into a Porsche. Maddie knows that Jerry can lip-read, so she shows him the VHS tape she recorded in the theatre, 
and he tells her what Jonathan said about her being a comfy old sweatshirt. Jonathan then returns and asks Jerry which leg the limping man was dragging behind him. Jerry confirms it was the left. Charlotte then offers to drive Jonathan home, much to Maddie's chagrin. Charlotte and Jonathan arrive back at the windmill and it looks like they're about to go inside together but the moment is somewhat spoiled by Maddie appearing. Charlotte heads home quickly and Jonathan is apoplectic. Maddie confronts him about the sweatshirt comment, they both calm down and then he tells her about the swapping car illusion. As usual, Maddie makes some entirely unfeasible suggestions for solutions to the mystery. Later that night, they have a discussion with Beryl's long-lost daughter Hannah, who turned up at the mansion with Pandoc Lau and immediately realised that Morella was in fact her mother Beryl and she'd been unaware for 15 years of what really happened and who really died a gruesome death by buzzsaw. We see a flashback to Morella, aka Beryl, explaining to Hannah how the accident occurred all those years ago and how she decided on the spot to start pretending to be Morella. Maddie and Jonathan encounter the homeless guy who gets spooked and runs away from them, dragging a limp leg behind him. Jonathan notes which leg, and in doing so, figures the whole mystery out. In the garden back at the big house, Hannah appears and starts talking to a shocked Charlotte. Shortly afterwards, Charlotte's about to hang herself from a tree, but Jerry fires his rifle from the window and shoots the rope down, saving her. Prike, Maddie and Jonathan then do the denouement together in the sitting room. Prike confirms that someone filled Morella slash Beryl full of drugs to kill her, but then pretended to be her shooting herself. But why? And who was the limping man? Well, turns out he was nobody at all, just a random extra element in the mystery. Jerry was asleep in the conservatory and a mirror was placed in one of the windows. So when he woke up and saw Morella commit suicide, he thought it was right in front of him when in fact it was across the other side of the garden. The body was already in the snow right in front of him, so when he went outside he saw her. The problem was she'd already been dead for hours, but the murderer didn't realise this. The murderer was Lionel the butler. He shot Morella when he thought she was asleep when in fact she'd already killed herself with a shitload of pills. He then got two similar cloaks, one for her corpse and the other for himself, placed her in the snow and played her shooting herself. After it's all wrapped up, Prike thanks Jonathan and Maddie for their help. Maddie then tells Jonathan that she had a chat with Charlotte who told her that he just is not her type. We end in the hospital where Adam has been admitted due to having been beaten up with a fire poker by Elsa, who it turned out was a Nazi. It's annoying when that happens, but here we go. Episode Analysis An iconic Creek episode and one I wager would feature very highly indeed in most fans' list of favourites. The central puzzle of the dead body and the misdirection with the mirror is one of the more ingenious solutions to a JC mystery and the eclectic cast of characters all milling around at a somewhat gothic country mansion in the snowy winter gave the whole thing a very Agatha Christie-esque feel. I thought the episode being feature length really allowed the story to breathe and the secondary plots, for example Adam and Elsa, could really be fleshed out a bit more than they would have otherwise been in a regular hour. 
things like the involvement of the mini camera and the phony surgery were broadened out to become involved in both the main story and the ancillary ones, which led to a nice feeling of flow throughout. Maddie's anxiety at the adoration in which Jonathan held Charlotte was the basis for some really funny stuff, and her constant attempts to undermine the would-be relationship were really great, such as referring to Charlotte as a hysterical floozy that he once met at a party. The way she completely put the kibosh on any further developments by lying to Charlotte about Jonathan's feelings for her was just so brazen and cruel, and in many shows I think she would have somehow got her comeuppance for doing that, but it's testament to David Rennick's penchant for black humour that in fact the last thing we hear about Charlotte is Jonathan saying it's maybe just as well it didn't all work out, because who needs that hysteria? The first sign of trouble? Stringing yourself up from an oak tree. Dark but very funny. Rick Mail was absolutely amazing as Gideon Pryke, just incredibly suave, funny, cutting, all at the same time. This was his first acting job back after recovering from serious injuries incurred in a quad bike accident, and thank god he did indeed make it because it's hard to imagine anyone else in this role. His top lines included, I can smell guilt on a man like dung on a donkey, and perhaps best of all, when talking about Jerry Bellinitis, can you really take the word of a man named after an inflammation of the foreskin? Murray Melvin played Lionel the guilty butler and put in a great performance as the creepy, peculiar murderer. Kate Izzett starred as Charlotte and is the first of the three main female characters from the sitcom Coupling to appear in Jonathan Creek, with both the others popping up in the future. This was another good Adam Klaus episode, and by good I mean entertaining for us, because it was often funny, but he did also utter a couple of really pretty terrible things about young Elsa, and for perhaps the first time ever we actually heard him inquiring about Jonathan's life rather than talking purely about himself. Now, there were a few points to make in the episode's negatives column as well. The first, and perhaps I've misunderstood this, is that after making the split-second decision to pretend to be her sister, are we really to believe that Beryl managed to fool Jerry and Charlotte, Marella's own husband and daughter, into thinking that she was her? I know Charlotte was young at that point and Jerry was deaf, but come on, that just wouldn't wash for a minute, surely? When twins appear in a mystery show, you know there's likely to be something fishy occurring with mistaken identity or perhaps one pretending to be the other, but this really stretched things beyond credulity, I thought. The shortened lamp flex thing was a bit stupid as well. Um, the flex being shortened, that just wouldn't occur to anyone. It's pretty obvious the table being moved was the explanation there. And if Marella Carney shot herself in the head, then the surrounding snow would surely have been absolutely covered in litres of blood and brains, and yet no one pointed that out. And finally, when Jonathan goes mad at Maddie for ruining his evening with Charlotte at the windmill, he says there were skid marks out there from her rushing off, but skid marks occur when a car stops, not speeds away. Anyway, now we'll move on to... The Celebration of Location Information Station. The main house in the episode is called Furl Place, and it's in East Sussex. Other stuff films there over the years includes Emma, Line of Beauty, and Bake Off the Professionals. It's a manor house first built in the 15th century, and Canadian soldiers were billeted there during World War II. 
The conservatory, which plays an important part in the plot, isn't really there and was temporarily added onto the side of the house for filming, and the snow in the garden was all fake. Furl Place is open to the public on Sundays, Mondays and Tuesdays between late May and late October. The forest car park scene in which Jonathan gets assaulted by the rough guy and then saved by Gideon Pryke was shot at Black Park Country Park near Slough. We saw the big fella going ape shit at Jonathan and you too can go ape there at the Go Ape Treetop Adventure Centre. The park is very near to Pinewood Studios and scenes for some very famous films have been shot there including Monty Python, Harry Potter, James Bond and Star Wars. And finally, early on in the episode we saw Jonathan and Charlotte pretending not to have spotted one another at the entrance to a London underground station. It was the Monument Station which serves the district and circle lines and these days is linked with Bank Station. Between them, they have more entrances than any other London Underground Station, 16, and more ticket halls, 4. If you want to visit in real life, it's based in, um, well, London. Creek Connections At 51 minutes 54 seconds, we see that the newspaper article written about Morella Carney's trick with the Rolls-Royce was penned by a journalist called Mark Hendricks. Mark Hendrick is currently the Member of Parliament for Preston. He studied at Salford Grammar School, also the alma mater of Peter Hook, the bass player in both Joy Division and New Order. Joy Division's debut album, Unknown Pleasures, was released in 1979, and the second track on it is called Day of the Lords. Lords Cricket Ground is in the St John's Wood area of central London, the postcode of which begins NW8. NW are the initials of actress Nikki Whelan, best known for her role as Pepper Steiger on Neighbours, and her eighth birthday was on the 10th of May 1989. On that same day, jazz trumpeter Woody Shaw died of complications from an accident months earlier when he was hit by a subway train at the DeKalb Avenue station in Brooklyn, New York City. The station serves two subway lines, the BMT 4th Avenue line and the BMT Brighton line. Brighton is a seaside city on the south coast of England and is known to some as the unofficial gay capital of the UK. Among the numerous gay people who live in the UK is Stephen Fry, who has voiced several adverts for UK television, including children's medicine Calpol, which in 2016 was the second biggest selling over-the-counter medication in Britain, with sales of £66.3 million. At the time of this recording, £66.3 million will buy you 2,095 Bitcoin. 2095 is also the title of the fourth book in a 16-book series of children's novels called The Time Warp Trio, written by John Sheetska and published in the USA by Viking Press, part of the Penguin Random House Group, which itself is a subsidiary of German conglomerate Bertelsmann. Bertelsmann was founded in 1835, and if you add 1, 
8, 3 and 5 together, you get the number 17, which was also the name of a 1932 Alfred Hitchcock film. Hitchcock's first film, The Pleasure Garden, was released January 1927, almost exactly 30 years before the birth of writer and actor Adrian Edmondson, best known for his work with Rick Mail, who played Gideon Pryke in Black Canary. And furthermore, Edmondson himself appears in several future episodes of Jonathan Creek. Spoiler alert. Holy fuck. Jeez. Unreal. I mean, that's, that is just unreal. <laughs> Try explaining that one. Go on. Another Creek connection next time. Catch your creek on. As many of you listening may know, Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail's classic sitcom Bottom was set in the Hammersmith area of West London, and I found myself by total coincidence reading through the issue of the Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush Gazette newspaper from the Black Canary air date of 24th December 1998. Locals were outraged at the establishment of a strip club called Secrets in the otherwise genteel Brackenbury village area of Hammersmith in a story headlined, No Defence for Undesirable Neighbours. Liz St. Clair Leg of the Brackenbury Village Residents Association wrote in with a long nimbyism-drenched diatribe claiming the establishment brought down the tone of the area. Our village and community is under threat! The owner is a businessman who does not live locally and has changed one of our pubs into a sex club. It has been established next door to a primary school. The opening sentence of Liz's letter actually reads, What a cheek! Which could feasibly, in fact, be the name of a strip club. She complains that the building's windows have been painted black so that, quote, Nobody can see in or see out. I don't get it. That that kind of would help shield people from witnessing what's going on inside, so um, surely that's a good thing, no? The local MP, Ian Coleman, was urging Environment Secretary John Prescott to tighten up rules which would allow the council to close down the strip club, although Prescott seems like the type of guy who might have gone into the club to do some research on the matter, if you know what I mean. A petition of 250 signatures had been compiled by this point, demanding the closure of the club, where apparently men could pay as little as £10 for ladies to strip. Now, 250 people does sound like quite a few, but when you consider the population of that postcode is around 35,000, it means only 0.7% of the residents signed the petition. In other words, over 99% of the citizens of Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush were dead keen on a strip bar being allowed to remain open next door to two different schools. Owner of Secrets, Stephen Less, said that the council had sent a letter to him saying that striptease at the venue was permitted and uh, denied that any sexual acts were taking place there, which is what I'm sure all proprietors of such places say. Three different locals threw in their tuppence worth as well. Eamon, 29, said, There are laws allowing them to open up. It's a bit late in the day to be kicking up a stink. Sounds like he's definitely going to be visiting. Sandra, 26, commented, It's the wrong location for a strip club, too near to the school. Having said that, 
I wouldn't think any less of my male friends if they went in there. And then my favourite of all was Amy, aged 17, who said, It's unfair on women. Now that's fair enough, but she goes on, There should be clubs for women too if there are going to be strip clubs for men. I would definitely go in if there were men getting the kit off. I wonder if Amy has subsequently embraced the veritable smorgasbord of online material that wasn't at her fingertips back in 1998. If you know her, why not drop the show an email and tell us one way or another, and she can have a shout out. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to this. And if you can be arsed, please do also leave a review. It'll really help in an algorithmical sense and enable more people to discover the show. Get Your Creek On has a very inactive and unpopular Twitter account. The handle for that is at creekget. And you can email any time, day or night, getyourcreekon at gmail.com. Contribute to the gargantuan running costs of the pod by purchasing me a theoretical caffeine beverage. Just head to buymeacoffee.com slash getyourcreekon. Next up, Series 3 proper will get underway. It's the final one starring Caroline Quentin, so please do join me for those episodes. Or, if you've got something better to do, then do that instead. I'll pretend not to care and just kind of carry on with this futile endeavour anyway. It's all good. That's it for today. Thanks again for checking it. Get Your Creek On, and I will see you next time. I'm Toby. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On. 